So we are continuing our sermon series um, called Enough Already, okay? Enough Already, talking about how we're instructed not to worry. Last week, Adam's kicked us off looking at what Jesus said in Luke 12 and says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious for anything. And for us, you know, it's, we can think of some big things, but Jesus even points out, I'm talking about food and real basic stuff. Don't, don't worry about it because God will provide. He will provide enough. And so looking at that and what that means and how can we have that level of trust where I can take that step of faith, I can take that step of, you know, taking the worry out and really just trusting in God. And so this morning we're going to continue on um, with that thought. It's kind of an extension of what Adam started last week. And looking at this open-handed living experiment um, is what we're really examining. And we're going to look at where did Jesus, because this thought of don't be anxious, don't be worried, it wasn't original with Jesus. Jesus understood this from the scriptures. Um, so let me ask this question. How many of you have children? This is interactive. Yes. All right. All right. Um, I have five children, and <laughs> which is funny because we were told several times enough already um, when we had five. I just thought of that. And we really did. Uh, um, my siblings, they were like, okay, you win. Okay, you've got the grandkids. All right. Um, but our kids... It's exciting when they're at that between a year old and 18 months old and they start learning their first words, okay? That's just a, a fun, exciting time. Um, you kind of, they're sleeping better at this moment, so you're like, okay, they are human, you know? And, but they start learning those first words and those first words of dad, dad, and, and mama, and, and things like that, um, and you hear those words and you're like, you're so excited. Two of our five, their third word was pizza, okay? <laughs> uh, it, no joke, it really was. And I mean, but it gives you an idea of what is the value? What is your family value, okay? They learn the people who take care of them the most and then they start learning those things that are most important. Our family, pizza is a big deal. We love our pizza night. Um, we would do pizza night every night if... I didn't have to weigh 400 pounds to do pizza night every night. Um, but what are some other words? What's interesting, within five words, maybe 10, there are words that our children learn that we don't even have to teach them. Okay, what are some of those words? No. Oh, my goodness. No. What's another one? Mine. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Right there. Mine. Mine is usually one of the top five words. Child psychologists will tell you it's one of the first things that they learn is mine. They really get this sense of personal space and, and personal possessions. Mine. We had our daughter Ellie. She's our third child. She's right in the middle, the oldest girl. And when she was three years old, it was so funny, she had one of those toy shopping carts. You know what I mean? It's like you go to the store, little toy. And what she used to do is she would load up not just the grocery stuff. She would load up all of her toys, 
everything that was hers. She would put it in the shopping cart, and she would push it around where her other siblings weren't. Okay, and this is how she played with her toys. Why, why did she do that? Because these are mine. And these are mine. And we can try to teach our children, you know, they say mine, and, and you're like, no, you need to share, okay? You, you need to, you know, share. You need to take turns. You need to wait in line. We teach our children these things. But Ellie would just go from time, you know, like, you know, if you share with your sister who's two, you'll be playing with your toys. It's like, nope, 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 this is mine. And so she never really enjoyed her toys other than pushing them where her little sisters weren't. And so for us, we just have this natural thought, you know, it's silly when we see children so focused and you need to share and you need to do these things. Where do they learn the word mine? We don't actively teach them. I don't know any parent that went, here's your toy, now say mine, okay? <laughs> oh my gosh, none of us would do that. That's the last thing we'd want. But where do they learn that? They learn it from us. While we will say, you need to share, you need to wait in line, you need to take turns, they learn mine from us. As we get older, we learn that, you know, when we just blurt out mine, that's not really socially acceptable to be doing that. You know, if somebody touches, you know, my coffee cup, I don't go, mine, okay, like a two-year-old or a three-year-old, but inside, what is screaming inside of you if somebody thinks that's their coffee? You're thinking, don't touch my coffee, that's my coffee, as we get older and we start to work, and we work hard and we earn money, and we buy toys, more expensive toys, we have bills, we have responsibilities, we, we have our family that we have to think of, not just myself, we don't say mine out loud nearly as much, but if we're really honest, we say it a lot inside. And we don't just say it but it really determines a lot of our decision-making, what we do, what we say. And this mindset is what's called a scarcity mindset. Because the reality is why we act like that is because there's the mindset that there's a limited number of resources and I need to make sure I get enough for me. A scarcity mindset says there is a limited number of resources and I need to make sure I get enough for me or me and my family. This is how our world functions. I want you to think of all wars. I want you to think of the conflicts that happen throughout society at all the different levels. Most of it has to do with we think there's not enough. And I have to look out for myself. Now, I may not be in battle with you, but I say, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to take care of my family. And you take care of yourself and you take care of your family. It all centers around this mindset that there is a scarcity of resources and I have to take care of me and mine. 
Jesus teaches us to have an abundance mindset. He says, do not worry. This is what Adam talked about last week. Jesus says, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. He says, the pagans, the people in the world, this is what they worry about. For, for you, a child of God, if you are following the kingdom of God, trust in him, seek his kingdom first, and you'll have whatever you need. This is an abundance mindset. I can share. He even says, sell your possessions. Sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor. It's not a big deal. Why? Because God will replace what you need. God will take care of what you need. And that's the abundance mindset. And that is the biblical mindset. That is what the Bible teaches us. Where does Jesus get this understanding of an abundance mindset? The answer is Genesis 1 and 2. From the very beginning, the foundation of the Jewish faith, almost everything in the Old Testament goes back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, this is where Jesus goes, look, I know who God is. I know who this God who has created all things, and he has created enough. So we're going to look I'm going to retell one, two, and three, and we'll read a short passage out of chapter three. So in Genesis one, we see that out of nothing, in the beginning, there was God, and out of nothing, he spoke into the void, and there was light, the spark of life, and it began. And there's this beautiful image as the days go along. You see God, he speaks life. He brings order out of the chaotic waters, okay? These chaotic waters, he brings order to all that. And then you see that he brings out vegetation and he brings out the dry land and then the vegetation and there's life that from this spark, it's growing and developing and it's this image of, it's not just a little bit, but this vastness that is expanding, and he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And it's beautiful. Even the heavens. There's abundance of light and beauty. And on the earth, you have the land, the dry land and the waters. And then he speaks into it. In the waters, he says there's the great creatures, there's the small creatures, all the fish. And it fills the oceans. And they are fruitful. They're multiplying and there's an abundance of life in the waters. And in the air, there's the birds that he creates, all different kinds. It's not just one kind. He creates all these different kinds, and they're filling the earth. And some of them are just beautiful. Some of them are turkey vultures, and why he created it, I don't know. But there's this just life expanding off the pages of Genesis 1. And then on the dry land, he, has, he creates life on the dry land, domesticated animals, cows and pigs and, and all these things, but then all the creepy crawly animals and all the wild animals and just the incredible variety. And there's this sense of incredible abundance, life abounding in this creation. And in this sixth day, 
He finally creates man in his own image. And he creates man and he gives them this awesome responsibility. He says, I want you to rule all of this. I want you to learn about it. I want you to care for it. I want you to, all the animals, it wasn't God who named them. Adam, name the animals because you are going to be caring for them. You are going to do all this. And there's this beautiful, and there's the garden where they live. And it's incredible because he have all these trees. So there are trees that are good to eat, and there are even trees that are just pleasant to the eye. What does that mean? It means God created this, and he said, okay, these are good to eat, but this I created, it just looks good. It's just beautiful. And he creates this world of incredible abundance. And then he calls man into this place. And with his rib, he creates Eve, a helper, and together they are to rule this place. They're to figure it out, to learn it. And God rules, kind of hands the keys over to them. Trust in my abundance. In the middle of the garden, you have the tree of life. And there's just one tree he plants in the middle. It's the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. There's one thing. And he says, all this is yours. Just that one tree there. Just leave that one alone. Because the day you eat from that tree, you will die. Everything else, it's yours. And there's this incredible abundance. And Adam and Eve, they have this responsibility. At the end of chapter 2, it says, And Adam and Eve were there in the garden, and they were naked, and they felt no shame. What does this mean? It means there was no guilt there was no reason for any kind of walls. There was no reason to hold back any truth, to hold back from one another. Because there was an abundance and they were free. And then in chapter three, there's a serpent that comes along. And the serpent comes to the women and says, kind of twists things, says, is it true that God said you can't eat from the trees? from the fruit, and Eve says, no, that's not right. We can eat anything except for the one tree because when we eat from that, we'll die. And the serpent goes, you will not surely die. In fact, if you eat from that tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. For the first time in humanity, there was a seed of doubt. Is there enough? For the first time, Eve wondered, is God holding out on me? Is God holding out on us? Is there really enough? Could I have more? Would my life, my, I think my life will be better if there is more. And in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, this is what the passage says to us. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. It continues to explain that And when God came into the garden, they hid themselves. Their eyes were open. And they had shame, and they were afraid. They were anxious. Because they did not trust in God's promises. And they thought, surely that's not enough. Surely there's more that we need. And what's interesting, every time throughout the Old Testament, you see this pattern over and over and over again. Where the people of God, they don't trust, they see something and they take it for themselves. Over and over again. When we don't trust God and his promises, we see something, we want it, and we work hard and we take it. And we hold on to it. Abraham Abram, in chapter 15 of Genesis, God gives him the promise, I'm going to bless you, you're going to become a great nation, I'm going to give you a child. He's an old man, his wife Sarah is an old woman. And some time goes by, and in chapter 16, the next chapter, in chapter 16, Sarah begins to doubt, Abram begins to doubt. How is this going to come about? Because we're old, it's a whole year that's gone by. And Sarah says, behold, look, my servant Hagar. You can look it up. Behold, my servant Hagar. I'm old. Take her and have a child with her. And the Bible describes, so Sarah took her servant and gave her to Abram. And the rest of the story was a disaster because they did not trust in the promises of God. Joseph's brothers When Joseph was sent to go check on his brothers, they were jealous and they were bitter. And they saw him from a distance. And when he arrived, they took him and threw him in a pit. David and Bathsheba. God had given David everything he needed. He had given him victory. He had set him up as ruling. And instead of going out with his men to battle, he stayed at home. And he was on the rooftop. And what did he do? He saw the beautiful Bathsheba. And the Bible says he took her into his palace. This pattern gets repeated. I I challenge you, look through the Old Testament stories, you will see this pattern repeated over and over. When we don't trust in God's promises, when we don't trust in his provision, what we see, we want, and we take it. We work hard and we forget that God has given us enough. And trusting in God to provide enough. The Old Testament covenant and the law was all about trying to get the Israelites to understand, if you follow me, if you trust in me, I will provide everything you need. You can trust in my provision. And God would bless them. But the blessing wasn't just for them. They were to be blessed, not just so they could look worthy, but they were blessed to be a blessing to the world. 
That was the intent. So for us, do I trust in God that he will provide enough? That's our question for the day. Do I truly trust in God that he will provide enough for me and my family? This is a lesson I learned early on in life. When I was 15, my dad, he's my hero of faith. I learned so much from my parents. When I was 15, my brother was a freshman in college. My sister was a senior in college. My dad is a farmer, so I grew up on the farm. And in our church, small church in Colfax, Indiana, um, they did what's called Faith Promise, how they funded missions and gave to missions. You gave your tithe to the church, but the missions program was a separate offering that you gave. And my parents were big supporters of missions, even though they had never gone anywhere. We barely ever traveled outside of Indiana, Montgomery County even. Um, But that year, this is over and above his tithe, my dad decided to double their giving to missions over for the whole next year. And that next year was a terrible year for farmers. It was a really bad year for farmers. And it was a huge test. And the question he wrestled with was, do I trust God that I will still fulfill the commitment I've given? And he did. And he did. And at the end of the year, I remember him standing up in front of the church during the faith promised time and giving a testimony and saying, I had two kids in college. We doubled our faith promise giving. Our income was less. And I have more money in the bank this year than I did last year. And I don't know how it happened. My dad has a master's degree in mathematics. What I learned from my father is my God is big My God is good, and his promises are true. I saw it firsthand, and it made a huge impression on me, 15, just new Christian. And as I got older, and I felt God wanted me to go on the mission field, I had zero concern about one thing, and that was whether or not God would provide enough to go. Because I knew he could. I saw what he did for my family. And I knew if I just had to take that step. And there were many times when we were on the mission field for 14 years, language school and throughout, that God, I didn't know how he was going to do it, but he always came through for us. Our first term, we were there for over two and a half years, We had one more year before we were going to furlough, and we lost a key supporting church. About 10% of our support overnight was gone. And when I crunched the numbers, I was like, we're going to be $6,000 short. And it is a big deal. Back then, it was a big deal for us to have to leave six months early. It was going to be a huge problem. And I remember going to God and saying, God, I trust that you will do enough, that either we need to leave six months early, or that you will provide what we need. We prayed, and within a week, we got two checks in the mail from two people 
from Missouri that I have no idea who they are, even to this day. You want to guess how much those two checks totaled? $6,000. That's only once that we saw God provide in amazing ways. Not just always financial. There are times where we didn't know what was going to happen, but God always provided enough. He always provided enough. This scarcity mindset that we get trapped in, this is the way of the world. That we think there's, this is why wars are fought. This is from the very beginning, ever since Eve took the fruit, the scarcity mindset that there is not enough in this world is what dominates our world. And unfortunately, we get sucked in to that same mindset. That we have to fight for what we have. We know the creator. We know the one who can create anything out of nothing. Last week, Adam talked about, we know the guy who owns the apple orchard. If you need an apple, he'll create, he'll make an apple. And you may not know how he did it. A scarcity mindset always starts with this idea of me and mine that we so easily get trapped into. It looks at me and mine, but it even, it's not just about me and where I am, but it starts to seep out. I talk about my family. Does my family have enough? And, I, you know, you take care of your family, I'll take care of my family. But it even sometimes we'll, we'll look at it, it goes to my community. Okay, it's my mind, my family, my community. It even leaks out into my country. Think about how things operate. It's about us. We got to take care of ourselves first. I got to take care of my family first, my community first, my country first. It even leaks into my church. It's about my church. I have a newsflash for you. It's not your church. For any of us. But we have this possession. We think it's my church. We want to keep the resources here. We want to make sure that we're comfortable here. Whatever that might be. It's not our church. Here's the thing. God, when he draws a circle, you want to know what his circle looks like? It looks like this. You know what it says? It says the world. He's got one circle. God has one circle. That's how he created it. Everything that you see in this world is because of this scarcity mindset that we battle and we fight and we take care of ourselves first. You look throughout the Old Testament, for God so loved what? The world that he gave his only son. Throughout, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against what? The principalities and the powers of the air, the spiritual warfare. In Revelation, what do we see at the end? We see from every tongue, every tribe, every nation who is bowing before the Lamb. 
An abundance mindset understands that whatever God challenges me to do, to step out and to give, to step out and trust, I can do it because my God is big, he is good, and his promises are true. That's the kind of church I want to be in. That's the kind of believer that I want to be. That I'm not afraid to do something. I'm not afraid to give him my time. I'm not afraid to give him my finances. I'm not afraid to give him myself. Because I know that God is big, he is good, and his promises are true. The scarcity mindset, what it leads to, says sometimes it means we fail to be generous with what we have. We're afraid we give too much. There won't be enough for me in my circles. Sometimes it means we fail to take steps of faith. We're afraid if we took, we step out without being sure of having enough, we'll fail and we'll look foolish. But an abundance mindset says I can be generous with what God has given me because he will always make sure that I have enough. I can step out where God calls me because he won't leave me alone. How big is your God? That's my number one question. How big is your God? Do you trust him enough to be generous with what he has provided you? Do you trust that if you are generous with what you have received, that God will still provide enough? Do you trust in God's provision? Our open-handed living challenge this week, there are two things that I really want to challenge you with. Number one, can you be generous with letting go? Our challenge this week is we want to challenge you to sponsor a child through Damu Christian Mission. We want to challenge you to sponsor a child. It's $30 a month. We have seen firsthand in Ivory Coast what child sponsorship can do for a family, for a child, how it can transform them. $30 a month. That's skipping pizza for a week for my family. $30 a month. What it can do for a family somewhere else. It's a beautiful program. The missionaries, Jessica and Lubens, they're here today. Tina has started it. It's a tremendous, the impact it has, not just in education, but spiritually. The hope that you give, we challenge you to consider sponsoring a child. Take that step. What can you let go of in order to be able to step into that trust? The second challenge that we would give, go on a mission trip. Trust that God will provide. I know sometimes it's scary, the thought, putting yourself out there. Let me tell you, your God is big. He is good. And his promises are true. He will not leave you. He will make sure that you have enough financially. He will make sure that you have enough courage spiritually. Take that step out. You can go sign up for some mission trips right out here. 
Our mission seems are ready to help you out and, and do that. What does it mean? Maybe for you, it's, it's some, you know that you need to take a step in a direction. Maybe it's not these two things, but you know that there's a conversation that I'm afraid to have. There's something I want to do, but I'm just afraid to do it. Take that step. Say it with me. Our God is big. That's not convincing. Our God is big. Our God is good. His promises are true. Jesus said this in John 10.10. This is what we're going to close with. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life doesn't just mean you hold on to this vast pile of resources. Abundant life means a full, exciting, faith-filled life where we walk hand in hand with God. I really challenge you to step out. Do you trust in what God will give? And how will you show your trust in his abundance? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you have always proven faithful. You have always proven yourself to be good. Even in those moments that are hard and the doubt starts to creep in, if we hold on and we trust in you, we will see your goodness. We will see your promises come true. I pray for all of us in this room, in this body, this church together, that we will not be afraid. We will not be hindered but we will be abundantly giving financially with our time, with our talents, that we will trust that you will take what we have and you will bless this world. Help us to step out in faith, to trust in you because you are good and your promises are true. We say this in Jesus' name. So this morning, we invite you, if you have a decision that you need to make, whatever it might be, we invite you to come forward as we sing, giving your life to Christ, stepping out that first time to trust that he will give you life. He will be with you. We invite you to come. If you need prayer, help, encouragement in those first steps, we invite you to come forward and pray. I'll be down here. Some of our elders will be down here. We just encourage you to take those steps. Don't be afraid, because he is good, and he loves us. Let's stand together, and let's sing.